Good morning, Celebration Church. What a joy it is to be with you today and to worship at you was a very special treat. How many of you enjoyed the worship? I know you did. I certainly did. Uh, it's always a delight to be with you when your pastor calls and asks that I come. I'm anxious to say yes because I love you and I love your church. I admire you so much for what you stand for and what you, the impact you're making on this region. Uh, your pastor and his family are extremely precious to us. I love and admire them greatly, and I, I see the hand of God upon them in such a great way. The purity and the commitment that they offer the work of God and this church is certainly uh, legendary, and I thank God for that and uh, enjoy walking with them uh, and working for the Lord together. It's my pleasure to stand in their place here today. I want to talk to you about the breath of God. It's the Holy Spirit. Everything God does in the earth is by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the agent of the Godhead. <coughs> the Father sits on the throne. The Son is at his right hand of power, but the Holy Spirit fills the universe. <coughs> the Holy Spirit is the Godhead. He's equal to all the Father and the Son. These three together make the one God that we serve. Whatever God is doing among the nations on the earth, he's doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever he's doing in his church around the earth is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And whatever he does in my life and yours is by his Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit in the same way that there's only one God. At creation, God scooped together a clump of clay, but then he breathed into his nostrils and that clump of clay became a living, breathing human being. All of that was by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage and guided them through the wilderness, protected them and provided for them, fed and clothed them, and safely brought them to the land of Israel. Thank you for that. Keep it up. I'm going to need it as time goes on. The Holy Spirit over, uh, inspired the prophets to write the scripture for us. The Holy Spirit was filled Jesus at his point of his baptism, empowered him to work miracles and signs and wonders to the people. The Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, and the believers <coughs> spoke in languages that they had never learned, and they also had little flames of fire as a supernatural sign that sat up on each of them. I'm going to have to have some water. Excuse me, just a minute. It happens. <clears throat> it was the same Holy Spirit that empowered the apostles. We call it the book of Acts of the apostles, but in reality, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Because everything that they did in that first century was by the power of the Holy Spirit. 2,000 years later, you and I are still living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everything that God does and everything that happens is by His Spirit. And if I could encourage you in one area of your life today, it'd be build a very close relationship with the Holy Spirit. Learn to recognize His voice. Learn to respond to the impulses and the um, impressions that the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. 
Learn to distinguish the thoughts that run across the screen of your mind. Some as being by the Holy Spirit and others being by Satan himself and then others being that which you create as a human being. But you have to learn how to distinguish between the two. The more we walk with the Holy Spirit, interact with the Holy Spirit, listen for the Holy Spirit, are guided by the Holy Spirit, the more we learn him and the more he's able to bless us and we're to be able to be a blessing to others. It's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit coming immediately after him. The Old Testament, we predominantly learn about the Father. In the four Gospels, we predominantly learn about Jesus Christ. But thereafter, we learn about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, after I leave, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, he calls him an advocate or a paraclete or a helper or a comforter. I want to talk to you for the next few moments about how the Holy Spirit is your helper. In spiritual and in very practical ways, from day to day, the Holy Spirit is your helper. Whatever your pursuits in life, whatever your challenges in life might be, the Holy Spirit is there to come along beside you and to help you in that. And if we can ever frame him in that way, we'll be surprised at how much the Holy Spirit will help us get things done and get through things in our daily lives. In chapter 14, he said, first of all, the Holy Spirit will teach you everything. The Holy Spirit will teach you everything. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. And in whatever lane of learning you might be in, call on your helper, the Holy Spirit, to teach you what you need to know. You may be in high school or you may be in college. You may be in vocational training or you may be self-educating your life in some area. But we call on the Holy Spirit because Jesus said that he would teach us everything. Not just everything spiritual, not just everything about the kingdom of God, but he said everything. So that means he's my helper. He'll teach me the Bible. He'll teach me about medicine. He'll teach me about finances. He'll teach me about my marriage. He'll teach me how to raise kids. Come on now. This Holy Spirit will teach me how to better take care of this temple of the Holy Spirit. He'll teach me about what I need to know medically to navigate through uh, health and in life. And so the Holy Spirit is your teacher. And so when you're in a learning lane and you need help, just call on your helper and he will come to you and teach you everything. How many feel like you need the Holy Spirit? And in that same verse, it said, he will remind you of everything I have told you. Your helper, the Holy Spirit is a reminder Everybody say, he's a reminder. Now, you may not need a reminder, but you will. Just hang in here. Uh, you know, I've got 66 years of information stuffed into this brain of mine. As a matter of fact, I've got so much stuff in there, I can't find things when I need it. It takes me so long to find it, it I, I don't remember a name till 30 minutes after I needed it. Because I just got too much in there and, and I can't get it out in time. It comes out eventually, you know. Sometime I'm laid in bed about midnight and boom, it'll come up and say, oh, now, now you're there. Where were you when I needed you? Some of you know what I'm talking about. But my whole, the Holy Spirit is my reminder. 
And first of all, he reminds me of what Jesus said, and I want to explain it like this. He reminds me of what Jesus and the whole Bible says. So as I'm walking through life, spending years studying the Scripture, there's verses and bits of Scripture I hadn't thought of in years hadn't preached or read or taught in a long, long time. But at just the right moment, the reminder, the Holy Spirit, will remind me of something that's in the Bible that I need at that moment. So level one is it will remind you of God's Word, remind you of the truth that you need in that moment. But you have to be open to the reminder. The second thing is he will remind you of what he has spoken to you in your life. Not only does God speak to us by the Bible, but he speaks to us in our hearts personally and individually. Sometimes God speaks to us and in the course of life, we forget what he said. We go on with life and things kind of crowded out. But after a while, the Holy Spirit will remind you of maybe the last thing the Holy Spirit said or maybe 10 things back. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. I remember last year, the Holy Spirit impressed me and spoke to me about this. So the Holy Spirit is given to you to remind you of previous words the Holy Holy Spirit has given you. It could be a prophetic word that someone gave to you, a, a letter or a note or an email, or someone laid hands on you. And in that context, a prophetic word come out, but you get busy in life and you forgot it. But then the great reminder of the Holy Spirit comes along and helps you to remember what God has already spoken to you. You may be taking a test and you're, you're pursuing a career and, and you've, got a, a, uh, you've got a test in front of you and you've got to remember what you studied and remembered what, what you were taught. The reminder of the Holy Spirit is sitting in that classroom with you. He's ready to remind you of things you studied and things you previously learned. Now, you know, uh, these smartphones are, are marvelous. It's beyond anything I, I, I can imagine. Fifteen years ago, we could have never dreamed what all would be happening on a, on, a, on a phone in our pockets. And I got all kind of alerts and alarms and reminders because I forget things. You know, so-and-so's going to court today. Don't forget to pray for them. So-and-so's got a surgery today. Don't forget about them. And then you've got an appointment yourself at such and such a time. And then you've got to be ready to do this by next Sunday. And so I've got all these reminders set up uh, to help me. My iPhone is a big help to me. How many of you, your, your smartphone is a big help to you? Some of you are willing to admit it. But the Holy Spirit is a whole nother level when it comes to reminding me. The Holy Spirit can remind you of things right at the right moment, exactly when you need to know. But you know, if we pass up the reminder, we miss what God had in store. So when the Holy Spirit reminds me of something, I've got to move into action because life is coming at me so fast. Before you know it, I'm off into something else and I, I forgot it again. But I miss that little reminder of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage each and every one of you to be sensitive to the reminder of the Holy Spirit. He might remind you something about your wife or your son or your daughter or your father or your mother. He might remind you about a friend or an employee. He may remind you about anything that needs to be done if you're alert to the reminder of the Holy Spirit. 
So I want to take some time just to encourage you to really utilize the helper. In John chapter 16, he goes a little further. He said, he will guide you into all truth. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, gave us the book of Proverbs. And one of his Proverbs was, buy the truth and sell it not. Later translations might say something like this, find the truth and never lose it. And in this day and time, the truth is hard to find. We're bombarded with information and ideas and philosophies and perspectives and concepts. And you have to search for the truth. You, you don't just stumble on the truth, you search for truth. You look for it, you pay a price to get it. And if not, you'll live by a lie and you'll make decisions based on false information. So we're constantly searching for the truth. And in the pandemic that we went through, we, that was highlighted because we had extremely intelligent, gifted medical people telling us exactly opposite things. And we're trying to figure out what is the truth because there was so much division and so many voices. Well, in every other area of our lives, there is so much division and so many varying voices that we don't know what the truth is. But here's the good news. Jesus said, I will send you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will guide you to the truth. He will guide you to the truth. How many ever heard of the ring of truth? Raise your hand so I'll know. There's a few people back there. The ring of truth. I asked that in the first service. Nobody raised their hand. They didn't want to admit it. But their hair was the same color as mine, and I know good and well they've heard that story as before. They're not fooling me. The ring of truth. It refers to a bell. When a bell rings, if it's, if it's a, 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 well, a well-made bell, the ring is true, and, and the tone of the bell is perfect. And so not all bells ring true. So you're looking for a bell that the tone is perfect. And so before now, we used to talk about something had the ring of truth to it. Somebody would say something or you would read something and it would just have a certain true ring about it. And you would say, that has the ring of truth. I'm not sure. I haven't done an investigation. I don't know all the facts, but there's something about it that it has the ring of truth. Well, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit will give you that ring of truth. When you're searching for the truth and you're finding out what's a lie and what's been imagined and what's been exaggerated and what's completely off, we're looking for the ring of truth. We're looking for the Holy Spirit to speak to us and say, buy into that. That's truth. That's eternal. That's for sure. Build your life on this. The Holy Spirit will give you a certain knowing in your spirit, I've landed on the truth. I have Googled and I have searched and I've read article after article after article, but now I find something that I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to me, this is the truth, this is what you need to buy into. So in this day and time when we're so bombarded with information and ideas, it is so important to have the Holy Spirit to give us a knowing about what the truth is. It's eternal truths, it's spiritual truths, it's practical truths. It's every truth in the, in the world. He goes on to say, he will tell you about the future. Now this is very important to me because when you're making decisions 
The reason decisions are often difficult to make, choices, judgment, is because you don't know the future. If you knew the future, the choice would be easy. But you don't know the future, so sometimes we don't know what decision to make. But again, enter the Holy Spirit who gives us knowledge of the future. Now, he doesn't tell you all your future. He doesn't explain everything that's going to happen. We don't really want to know all the future, that's for sure. Uh, We want to take it as it comes. But there are times in your life and mine that I need to know a portion of the future. And the Holy Spirit, when we're making decisions, will help us to, to realize, do this because it is consistent with the future. It's going to benefit you in the future. Sometimes I make judgments and decisions, and I think to myself, this is probably not what I should do. This doesn't make sense. This is not practical. It's not what normally I would do. But something in me is saying, this is what I need to do. And as I live my life and the future becomes the present, I realize the Holy Spirit was looking into the future, and I was making decisions based on a future that hadn't happened yet. I wouldn't have made that decision, but the Holy Spirit was helping me realize something about the future that I needed to know. The Holy Spirit reveals to us the future. Now, he doesn't play the whole movie, but he might give you just a clip. You might just see a flash or a vision. You might just see a little bit. So it probably won't be a a full-length movie, but it'll be just a bit of the future that will help you navigate and make the decisions you know. Just think about your business. Think about your career, where you are. If the Holy Spirit were to give you just a little bit of knowledge of the future, it could change the decisions you're making and change your whole course of life. Just a little bit of knowledge of the future. Oh, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. Anybody else here thankful for the Holy Spirit? Jesus said he would reveal to us the future. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, the apostle said, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Inner strength. The Holy Spirit gives us inner strength. Inner strength is that ability to get up in the morning, put your pants on and go to work. To walk through a health crisis to walk through a marriage crisis. The inner strength gives you the ability to put up with a work environment that everything in you makes you want to run. But inner strength makes you do the right thing and hold the course and be patient and let God work it out. That's inner strength. When your heart has been broken, when you've been disappointed, when you've been betrayed, when things didn't work out right, your, your heart is broken. It's hard to put one foot in front of the other when you've been hurt and broken. But the Holy Spirit in us gives us inner strength so we can keep walking and walk our way out of whatever we're in. How many of you are glad for the whole inner strength of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to keep going. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, at your age and mine, we ought to know our weaknesses by now. And if you don't think you have any, you're self-deceived. We all have weaknesses and we have strengths. And a part of growing up and becoming a mature human being and a mature Christian is just learning where my weaknesses are. Now, you know, this is my strength, but this is my weakness. 
So I have to put a guard by my weakness and I have to get extra help for my weakness. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit helps me in my weakness. Now, I know this is a little bit uncomfortable right now, but let's deal with it for just about 60 seconds. Think about your weakness. Our plural. And then think about how the Holy Spirit is given to you to help you in that weakness. Not condemn you. Not make you feel lower than a worm. Not make you feel like you're worthless and useless and of no value. He's here to help you in that weakness and make you strong whereas you would have been weak. He's the helper in our weakness. Can you say amen? Romans chapter 8 verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. As a child of God, we have to humbly and trustingly follow God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We do. Just trust Him as a child. Just trust Him as a child. Believe in Him. I started by saying how important it was for us to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. To realize when He's giving us impressions and we're having... Uh, notions, and we're moved to do things that we don't really understand, but we feel moved to do something. We feel impressed. We, we feel motivated to do something. We can't explain it to our wife, our husbands, or our friends, but there's something in us saying, this is what I need to do because the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us. But we have to recognize that. You know, I don't have to go through life without a roadmap. I don't have to go through life wondering, stumbling from place to place. I have a guide. I have a guide. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's been there and done that. He knows everything there is about everything. All I have to do is follow my guide. And if I follow my guide, everything's going to be all right. It doesn't mean I'm never going to make a mistake or have a regret. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means in the course of my life, I'll get there safely. I'll arrive safely. I'll do God's will in my life. I'll just let the Holy Spirit be my guide and lead me through life. It's contrary to the flesh. The flesh doesn't want to be led, doesn't want to be guided flesh doesn't want to be told what to do. That's why we have to die daily to self and the flesh and give our hearts again to Jesus. Give our hearts over to the Holy Spirit. Guide me, lead me, guide me, lead me, speak to me. I'm ready. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Now the Holy Spirit brings dead, the dead back to life. He resurrects things and he resurrects people and he resurrects dreams and he resurrects lives and he resurrects marriages and relationships. God is in the business of resurrecting things. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. And when the breath of God comes into you, things come back to life. I want to talk to you about that from the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. It's one of the most uh, colorful, uh, dramatic chapters in your entire New Testament, uh, Old Testament. It's about the uh, prophet Ezekiel. The Lord picked him up in the spirit. He was having a spiritual experience, picked him up. And in the spirit, he saw a valley of bones, dry bones, bones that had been scattered by the wild animals and disconnected with their original skeleton. And the Holy Spirit said to him, son of man, can this, these bones live? 
Ezekiel answered wisely and said, Lord, you're the only one who knows that. He wasn't going to say, no, they can't live because he's talking to God. And then again, he wasn't going to say, yes, they can live because he knew that without God, it couldn't happen. So he just said, Lord, you're the only one that knows the answer to that. And so the, the spirit of the Lord said to Ezekiel, the prophet, prophesy to the wind and command the four winds to blow and that these bones will come back to life. And so Ezekiel said, so I prophesied. What do I have to lose? <laughs> I can't do it. And if he said prophesy, I'll prophesy. So he said, I prophesied. And sure enough, the wind began to blow. And the bones began to move. A rattling took place. And the bones began to find their original mate. Remember when we were kids, that little song we used to sing? Here I go again. The ankle bone connected to the leg bone. The leg bone connected to the knee bone. The knee bone connected to the hip bone. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you shaking your head because you were there. And so all these bones came together and they found their original skeleton. And then flesh began to come onto them. Tendons and vital organs and skin and eyes and all of it came together. But the Spirit of the Lord said, Prophesy again, son of man, and command the breath of God to come into them. Because even though they had come together and miraculously been reformed as a human body, they were still dead until the breath of God came into their lungs. And so the prophet prophesied yet one more time and called the breath of God into these dead bodies. And these dead bodies, the Bible said, stood up as an exceeding great army. An exceeding army great army. And he explained to the prophet that this was a vision about the nation of Israel and how that Israel had backslidden and turned away from God and had suffered the dire consequences for having done so. They were like dead bones scattered in the valley. God judges nations. Nations rise and nations falls at God's hand. It doesn't matter if they're a Christian nation or a Muslim nation or a Hindu nation, or any other nation, every nation is under the hand of God. Nations rise and nations fall by the hand of God. The book of Acts teaches that God gives people groups a time and a space. He gives them a season to exist, a season to have an opportunity to be a nation, and he gives them a geographical location. So God sets the time of every nation, the beginning and the end, and he gives them a piece of dirt. He gives them a location to live on. God judges the nations, all of them. And God judged Israel. And I believe with all of my heart that America is being held accountable for our sin and our continual backsliding. We've had more outpourings of the Spirit in this country than any other nation in 2,000 years. We have documented about every 40 to 50 years and since our inception and even before as a nation, we have had a major outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The 20th century was 100 years of Pentecostal outpouring all over the world, but it started here in America. And yet America has gone further and further away from God and the God of the universe is holding us accountable for our sins. Don't put your hope in politicians. Politics is a necessary evil, but don't put your hope there. They can't save us. 
Our hope is not in ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Any more than those dead bones of Israel could come back together. You and I are beyond the place where we can rescue ourselves from the apostasy that we have gone into as a nation and as a culture. Our hope must be in the Lord Jesus Christ and the breath of God that brings life back into us. If there is anything we can do, it's nothing more than repent of our sins and and humble our hearts before God and fall on the mercy and the grace of God. That's about all you and I can do. And don't look for Hollywood to repent. Don't look for Washington, D.C. to repent. Don't look for the secular uh, educators to repent. We better look to the church to repent. It's got to start right there. You know, you remember the verse that says judgment begins where? Judgment begins where? At the house of God. And so the church must be the first one to fall on our knees and ask God to forgive us. We are all complicit in it. We're all a part of it. We have drank the, the culture and we have been partakers of the world and the sins of our fathers are upon us and we are a part of the problem. So it must start with us. The good news, there is hope. Jesus Christ is alive and well and the Holy Spirit has been loosed on the earth and dry bones can come back to life. The inference here that at some previous time, a mighty army had done battle, hand-to-hand combat in this valley. And Israel had lost that battle. Their bodies lay dead until their bones were bleached and scattered by the, the, the animals. But God looked at that hopeless situation and said, do you believe that they can live again? You know, sometimes the devil wants to steal our hope and put us into a sense of hopelessness, and God wants to bring life into us. It may be faults and failures and disappointments and personal regrets and things we wish we could change with everything that within us, but at the same time, we can't change them. But don't give up, because the Holy Spirit is here to breathe life on the deadest, driest bones and bring them back to life again. And um, so... The breath of God came, and they came back to life. And the Bible said in Ezekiel 37 that they stood up a great army. I believe God is ready to stand up a great army in this day and time. A great army in this day and time. I want to be a part of the last day army of God. You know, we see ourselves as sheep, and we see ourselves uh, as a building. But we need to see ourselves as an army. An army that the power of the Holy Spirit has stood up on our feet, ready to do battle for the kingdom of God in this day and time. I wonder how many of you want to be in the army of God? You better think about that a minute. How many of you folks in the military? Let me see your hand. We got some ex-military folks here. You join the military? You can't wear your hair the way you want to wear it. You can't wear the clothes you want to wear. You can't go where you want to go and do what you want to do. You belong to the military. And the first thing you learn is your personal choices have just been drastically reduced. Your personal expression has just been drastically restricted. Because now you're in the army. And there's a lot of people that are quick to say, I want to be in the army of God until they find out they got to get their head buzzed. 
They got to start wearing their clothes different, going where they didn't want to go and living where they didn't want to live and do what they didn't want to do and being accountable to people they don't even like. Pretty soon they don't want to be in God's army anymore. But the fact is, if you want to be in God's army, the first thing you got to realize, he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's our commander in chief. And we've got to humble our hearts before God and say, God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. If it's good or bad, if it's fun or not fun, if it's what I dreamed of or it was my biggest nightmare, if you send me, I'll go. I'll go to the front lines or the back lines. But I want to be in your army. And if we can't make that commitment, we're not going to be part of God's army. No army will exist with a bunch of soldiers that do whatever they want to do and do not respect authority. And God can't function the army of the kingdom of God if we don't humble our hearts and be willing to do what he wants us to do in our lifetime. Jesus said it this way, if you want to be my follower, the first thing you've got to do is deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And we lose a lot of people right there. We lose them right there because they don't want to deny themselves. They don't want to take up any cross because we know what that means. And we sure um, don't want to follow Jesus and let him be the Lord of our lives. So when you say you want to be this army of God, understand what you're getting into. I want to ask you a question today. I think it's a very important question for the day you and I live in. Are you willing to alter your lifestyle for the sake of revival? Are you willing to alter your lifestyle for the sake of revival? The national average for church attendance in America, this doesn't apply to you, thankfully, but in the national attendance is less than one and a half Sundays per month for the most committed among us. So we give maybe an hour or so every Sunday to the Lord one and a half times a month. We're so busy. We're so committed. We've made so many promises. We're involved in so many things. The system, the nature of the world we live in sucks up our time, eats up our days, and eats up our night. It, just, it, it, it uses up the reserve of emotional and physical energy that we have. We stay tired most of the time. We're running here and running there, and that's the way the world is, and you and I are swept along in it. But if we want to see the breath of God, we want to see an outpouring of the Spirit, if we want to see God do what He's done through the ages, if we want to see our nation and we want to see nations touched by the power of God, this little bit that we've designated as time for God is not near enough. If you, if you study revivals for the last 2,000 years, all of them took a lot more time than you and I have designated for the house of God, have designated for the work of God. All of them took time. But how much time do we have? We call a night service and a handful show up. You know why? Not because they don't love God, not because people don't, aren't hungry for the Holy Spirit, not because they don't believe in it. It's because they're obligated. They're committed. They made promises. My kid's going here, my kid's going there, I gotta be here, I gotta be there, and I've got a rigid lifestyle, and it sucks up all of my time. I don't have time for revival. I don't have time to give the church any more time. I don't have time to go and pursue God. I don't have time for a prayer meeting. I don't have time for a revival service. And it isn't because we're evil or we don't love God. It's because the world has just sucked us in to a rat race that sucks up every bit of our time and every bit of our energy. 
So I come back to this question. Are you willing to alter your lifestyle for the sake of revival? Because if you're not willing to alter your lifestyle, you're probably never going to experience it. I'm not questioning your salvation, your sincerity, your love for God, your eternity, none of that. I'm just saying if you want revival, you have to be willing to alter your lifestyle. And you've got to set time aside. So here's my challenge to you. Look at how many commitments you've made and see which one of those you can reduce and make a new commitment to God. I want to ask you young families that's got kids in school. Think about how many sports you want them to play this year. How many different school activities you want them to be involved in. Well, I know you're looking at me saying you don't know anything about that. Well, I got seven grandkids. I know a lot about it, actually. And I'm watching the way the world pulls on my grandkids. School, church, and then ball and dance and God knows what else. And, and my kids are running 90, 90 miles an hour, seven days a week, trying to get their kids to all the things they're supposed to be at. So I get it. And my challenge is, do we need to say, wait a minute, we have to put room in our life for God. And you're not going to be able to play what you might have otherwise played. You may not be involved in everything you would have been involved because we've got to have a portion of God, a portion saved for God. And so I close with this. Are you willing to alter your lifestyle for the sake of revival? So yesterday, I had the morning off. I was working here in the North Houston area, so I had the morning off yesterday morning. Had a funeral Friday night, and then I had the morning off yesterday. So I went to a CrossFit competition in Katy. Just so happens my son, who's a pastor of Triumph Sugarland. Uh, was competing in a uh, CrossFit uh, competition in Katy. Now, I know a lot of you know all about CrossFit. Uh, demanding, to say the least. I do CrossFit twice a week. So uh, I was kind of interested to see what a competition would be like. My son uh, was competing there. He's 41, and he had never competed. We'd never been to a meet. So we thought, let's go and see. How. So he was on a team. And uh, it was quite interesting. And so um, he, it was, he, he, there was about 20-something teams in his bracket. I think it came in six from the top. And uh, his co-team, his buddy, they came in like third or something. We were really pleased with that. And I was just looking at all these people doing these extraordinary things. You know, uh, their, their physical endurance, their strength. I mean, CrossFit people are like animals. Uh, they're unbelievable what, the, what, they, what they can do. Not me. I just do it twice a week. That don't get you a lot. But these people that are competing, man, it, it, it's a big commitment. And I thought about the commitment these people have made to do all I saw them do yesterday, just beyond anything I could imagine personally doing. I can't believe how they do all that stuff. And I thought about the commitment they had to make to get in a position where they could compete in CrossFit. And I couldn't help but think with a bit of guilt and repentance. If I was as committed to what I'm doing as those CrossFit people are, I think I'd be getting a lot more done for God. The time they put in, the pain they endure, 
the priority they make it, push everything back because I'm into CrossFit. And I think, my God, I'm convicted standing right here today because I'm working for the King of kings and the Lord of lords and we're contending for the eternal souls of man. And I don't near put the, pay the price that these people are paying week after week for CrossFit. For CrossFit. Nothing wrong with CrossFit. It's a good thing. I'm just talking about the commitment level. And I came home just kind of shaking my head on the inside and saying, God, by your help and grace, I'm going to raise my level of commitment to your work and to your kingdom. I'm going to raise my level of personal input. I'm going to raise my bar. I don't want to come before Jesus Christ someday and have to explain why CrossFit people paid a bigger price for CrossFit than I paid for his cross. I'm going to ask you to stand. In the same way that Ezekiel was commanded by the Holy Spirit to prophesy to the wind. I prophesied a celebration church. And I prophesied to each one of you in your home that the wind of God would blow on you fresh and new. I prophesy that the breath of the Holy Spirit is going to blow inside of your heart, is going to awaken in you something that has been asleep, that something that died is going to come back to life, a dream, a vision, a hope, a plan, a calling, a gifting. I prophesy the wind of God to blow upon you, that there would be a new life. The flame of God would explode inside of you and begin to consume you with the fire of God. May the same wind that blew on that valley of dry bones let it blow on the people of God here today. Stand this church up to be the army they've never been, to be the house of strength and hope and miracle power it's never been. I pray, God, that you would bring people in this house that have the same level of desire, hunger, and commitment. Bring them here. Fill this place up multiple times over and over again by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray and prophesy over your pastor, Frankie, that he would speak under the anointing of God with authority and rank. That when he speaks, things would happen. When he prophesies, things come to pass. That at his disposal would be all of the supernatural gifts and would be all the, the angels of heaven to work the kingdom of God and to work the work of God in this house. I speak a blessing on you all in Jesus' name. Now, if you're a prayer partner, come get in position. If you're here today, I'm going to ask you to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The prompting of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that if people won't obey the Holy Spirit while they're standing in church, they sure aren't going to obey the Holy Spirit when they're standing at work. It's just not going to happen. If you can't hear God here, you probably can't hear God anywhere. If you can't obey God here, you probably can't obey God anywhere. So I want to ask you to obey the prompting, just the prompting, the, the urge of the Holy Spirit. You know, God may not come by there and grab you by the hair of the head and drag you by the head down this altar. He, he's just going to give you a prompting. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. It's a prompting. It's a motivation. It's an incentive. It's an urge. That's all it is. Rarely is it more than that. But we have to learn how to respond to promptings and urging of the Holy Spirit.
If you're here today and there's some dead places in your life, hurt and broken places, regrets that you have, things in the past that have haunted you and have not had closure, I bring you to this altar in Jesus' name. If you're battling something in your body, you need a healing touch, please come down, let us pray for you. The power of the Lord is here and he's ready to touch you, but you have to respond to the Holy Spirit. God bless each and every one of these people that are coming. You can pick anybody you want. This is not a confessional. Just give us an idea of what area of your life you want us to pray with. We'll go with there. And nothing personal, no details. God's going to do the work. He knows all the details. He's very personal. But you don't have to tell us. Just let us pray for you. When you come down this aisle, it's like the switch, your light switch on the wall. The wires are disconnected. The light isn't on. But you hit the switch. The wires are connected. The lights pop on. When you walk down an aisle and you ask some of these people to pray with you, it's like you're hitting a switch. It's a connection made, and the power of the Holy Spirit is released to you in a new way. So I, I want to encourage you, please don't leave this house until you come down and obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, husband, listen to this. If you had an incentive a while ago to make a higher level of commitment, a higher level of commitment to the work of God, the things of God, your spiritual walk, don't just think it. Tell your wife. Ask her to come into agreement with you and hold you accountable. I've made a lot of decisions in my mind that I never got to my mouth, and I forgot about them, never followed them through. But once I speak it, and once I say it, especially to my wife, she holds me accountable, and then i got to stay true to it. So, guys, I know how the routine works. Don't just make it in your mind, but tell it to your wife and come into agreement that together you're going to raise the bar. You're going to up your game. pray a blessing over you and if you need prayer ministry you can come down if you want to come and worship you can do that if it's time for you to be with your family and that's fine too may the lord bless and keep you may make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you may the joy of the lord be your strength may the peace of god rule your heart and mind and may the fire of the holy spirit burn brightly in each of your hearts i bless you all in jesus name thank you for letting me be with you today